Genesis chapter 3, just a couple pages into the Bible there, right in the beginning. Uh, Continuing our study, we looked at, of course, Genesis 1, creation, Genesis 2, the very first human relationship between husband and wife, and how God has ordained that and ordained the family unit to be started with husband and wife. And now continuing tonight, we pick, pick up here in chapter 3, as we do in Genesis, look at the first of many things. Uh, now we're going to look at the first sin. When sin entered the world, the origin of sin, beginning of course with verse 1 in Genesis chapter 3, now thus God had made was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We start out, of course, with the serpent, the first thing we see there. And we know according to other scriptures that this is Satan that is being spoken of here. Ezekiel chapter 28 tells us that Satan was in Eden. And, other, and, and of the origin of Satan being the highest of angels that God cast out. And in various other passages, the Bible refers to Satan many times as a snake or serpent, a snake-like serpent, and that is what we're seeing here. What What it tells us, the first thing that it tells us, the Bible tells us about the devil is that he is more cunning than all. Then all of the other beasts of the field, we're comparing beasts to beasts, right? We're the beasts of the field, the beasts of the earth, and now the serpent, Satan, is more cunning than all of them. First thing that we hear in the Bible should be noted, the cunning nature of the devil. And it should not be taken lightly, right? This We should take as a great warning. It's the first thing we hear, the first warning we're given. He is more cunning than all else. The master of all manipulators, the father of lies. He is at his core, at his nature, a trickster. That's what he's out to do. And not to be underestimated. Sometimes uh, we, we are playing with fire. And in playing with fire, we can give the devil a foothold. And we studied even in the Gospel of John, looking at Judas and what took place there. What happened? He played with fire. He he gave foothold to the enemy. He gave opportunity for influence over his life. So in that, he says to the woman, and we'll just note here, we're going to get into later, we're going to see that woman does not yet have a name, but we're going to, she's going to be given a name in this very chapter toward the end. So far, she's just the woman taken from man. We talked about that last week. And to the woman, what does he say? Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The very first conversation, the first thing that he does is bring to question, he questions the word of God that has been passed down or passed on to her from Adam. Adam is the one who received this instruction from the Lord, and we can rewind back to uh, chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That is the instruction that God gave to Adam. The word was passed on from Adam to his wife. Satan is going to attack in that, the most vulnerable areas. And he looks at this passing on of the word and saying, okay, Adam received the word directly from God. Eve received the word from Adam. So I'm going to try to get in the middle. I'm going to try to get in the middle of that communication. It's exactly what he does, going after this vulnerability, bringing question to the word that's been passed on. This is the first attack in the Bible on the word of God. It's the first attack from the enemy in the Bible that we see, and it is directly against the word of God. Some things never change. But what does Peter tell us in his epistle? The word of God endures forever. But it's been attacked more than anything else and will be attacked more than anything else throughout all of history and for all eternity. But the word of God endures forever. And here it is, right from the beginning, attack on the word of God. The word that God spoke to Adam. To bring question or to bring doubt. That's what he's trying to do. That's what the enemy tries to do, to bring question or bring doubt to the very word of God. Just a little doubt in your mind is all he's looking for. Just a little area of vulnerability, a little opportunity to get you to maybe misunderstand the word or the promise of God. That has always been and always will be the tactic of the devil to bring doubt and question to the word of God, to focus on, and what he's doing here is he's, he's bringing focus onto what is not allowed over what is allowed and what blessings and opportunities that God has. We're gonna get further into that now. In verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The woman's response, now, let's stop there. That's a bad idea, right? I mean, she gave time to the devil. Let's not give any effort there. Like, I mean, don't enter into conversation and have, have this little back and forth banter with the devil. We have Jesus. We have victory. The end. Conversation over. We have the ability to just proclaim the name of Jesus and, and walk forward in that victory, but we will often give the devil the time of day, and that's what Eve does. Or she's not Eve yet, right? Sorry. Uh, but that's what she does. She gives the time of day. She gives the opportunity to the devil. Mixing it up with the devil is always a bad idea. Because why? Verse 1 tells us he is more cunning than any other. But what she says now, she, she says, we may eat all of the trees. That's good news. That's focus on the blessings. But we, sh but we shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst. 
This is the beginning of a shift in the focus, a beginning of the things that we're not allowed to do. And we do this sometimes. We focus on, oh, well, I'm not allowed to do I mean, most people in the world, when you try to minister to them, you teach Jesus, and you're, you need Jesus, you need a relationship with Jesus, they focus on all the rules, the, the, do's, the do nots, rather than the things that are blessing. I mean, imagine what God created, we've studied over these last two chapters. God has created this glorious place. It is perfect, beautiful. We can't even imagine how beautiful the Garden of Eden was. And God set them in the garden, said, this is all yours, guys. Look at how much I love you. And we see in chapter one even that God blessed the creation, and he blessed mankind. This is what God has done. He has blessed them, and he gave them dominion over all of it. And he said, you can have all of it. It's all yours. Eat freely, but just this one. But what does the devil do? Well, did he tell you he, you couldn't eat from the one? Is that what God said to you? Hello, look at what else we have. But we get caught up in the one. We get caught up in the one tree and think, I, but that's the one I want in our nature. And that's sin in us, right? And that's what it goes back to. It's our nature says, I, but I want the one. The origin of temptation, ultimately. I just, I, but... Uh, I can't say no. The beginning of the wrong focus here is that she's saying, "What? but we shall not eat from the one tree in the midst of the garden. God was protecting them. He gave them free will. He put the tree there and he said, I want to protect you. So don't eat from that tree so that you not taste the sting of sin and death. That's the death that he was talking about in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 that we read. And when the enemy challenges that to say, oh, surely you will not die, he was talking about physical death. You're not going to drop dead when you, when you eat the tree or touch the tree. But God is talking about a spiritual death and eventually a physical death, of course. But the devil brings that little doubt. But then when she says this, she says, you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it. That's not in chapter two. That's not what God told Adam. God didn't say you shall not touch it, but she goes further with it. What does that tell us? Now, best idea is not to touch it, right? Best idea is to actually avoid it at all costs. Don't like, well, let me just get a little closer to the tree. Yeah, how about a little bit closer to the tree? How about a little bit? How far can I go before I fall off this stage right now, right? How far can we go but not touch the tree and not eat of the tree, right? So Adam got this word from the Lord, you shall not eat of the tree. His wife got this word passed on that was, hey, that tree, just leave it alone. Poor communication between husband and wife here. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? He passed on the word. The Lord gave him, don't eat of the tree, surely you'll die. Just eat. Listen, stay away from the tree. Why? Just, just, just stay away from the tree. That's all, okay? This is what's happening. There's, there's this passing on, and the devil will get in the midst of those vulnerabilities to try to bring doubt to the word that God has clearly spoken. But she says, do not even touch it. God did not say that. 
to Adam. She has been misinformed. And even she calls the tree like in the midst of the garden. God made very clear to Adam the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of it. Do not participate with that. She knew very little about this tree other than what Adam had told her. He passed on bad information, limited information, poor communication. And that's when Satan attacks is in the midst of these vulnerabilities and can bring doubt to the word of God. Verse four, then the serpent said, you will not surely die. This is the lie right from the beginning. He twists the truth. He twists the word that God has given. And the, and the devil has a, is a completely contrary to God's word. He says, you will not surely die. And what he's saying is, well, you're not going to, I mean, if you touch the tree, if you go near it, if you take a bite, are you going to die? Is it poison? I'm just bringing that little bit of doubt, but he's saying, surely, He's giving another word that is contrary to the word of God. He's saying, God is trying to keep you in the dark here. You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of, of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's trying to enlighten Eve because Adam had not given her all the details. And now he's taking this opportunity to say, oh, I've got something to share with you. Your husband didn't tell you all of this, so I'm going to tell you my version of this. And even in a sense, what he's saying is God is trying to keep you in the dark. But see, God was trying to keep them safe. Not to withhold blessing, because there was no blessing. In fact, there was curse in that tree. God was not withholding blessing. God does not withhold blessing. God was protecting. He was protecting them to keep them from the knowledge of sin and death and the sting of sin and death. But he wasn't keeping them from blessing. He's saying that, of course, your eyes will be open. And this, this is what the devil does. This is a statement rooted in truth. Yes, your eyes will be open. But they're going to be open to some really, really terrible things. He didn't tell him that part. Your eyes will be open. You will be enlightened. You will see things that you've never seen like you've never seen before. Giving this empty promise, yes, their eyes would be open, but their eyes would be open to sin and to shame. So this statement that the devil says here, it is rooted in truth, and that's what the enemy does. Gives little doubt then gives this half-truth, this little bit, it's rooted in truth, but twisting it into something else, causing people to doubt the very character and nature of God, which was to not withhold blessing. But Eve started to get in her mind that God is withholding blessing from us. God is withholding knowledge from us. But God had a perfect plan and a perfect order. We know that through our first two chapters in the, in the book of Genesis. He's saying then you will be like God. So there's this, on top of everything, bringing little doubt, 
bringing this little doubt to the word of God, then bringing little doubt to the nature and character of God, then enticing through pride and power. You will be like God. That's why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree. Because now you will be like God. There's an enticement of a God-like status. Kind of like the world that it's been going on from then till now and will continue. Everybody wants God-like status. Whether it's over many things or whether it's over just our little world. Over our health and our wealth. Right? All in our pursuit of happiness. And all, this is what we're all about. And we, we want that God-like status. And we think that this enlightenment brings God-like status. That's where Eve was at in this place of looking for, looking to this enticement from the enemy saying, you will have this God-like status. Verse 6 so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Here we have it, the original sin. They crossed the line. She saw that it was good for food, and we can... Put, we can jump ahead all the way to 1 John, as, he, as John writes and tells us, right, that the, there's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life that is not of the Father, but is of the world, is of the Father of this world, the Father of lies. And this is what's happening here. She saw that it was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was, it was good for food. It was satisfying physically. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and desirable to make wise, the pride of life. This was good-looking fruit. It wasn't, like, you think of evil things, and you think, like, ooh, that's bad. It's dark. It's scary. Like, there's not cobwebs hanging from the tree in the midst of the garden. They're like, yeah, we don't want to go near that tree because look at it. Who would want to go there? No, that's not the tactic of the devil. The tactic of the devil is, look at this fruit. That's good looking fruit. It's so, it's ripe and it's gonna be so juicy and it's gonna be delicious and all these things. You're like, yeah. I mean, why would God withhold that blessing from me? This is good for food, right? It looks, look at it. And this guy, this serpent over here is telling me that it's gonna make me wise. Why wouldn't I eat the fruit? It looked like other fruits. It was edible. There wasn't anything that made them think, like, this is bad fruit. When you look at it, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, these are the things that she was enticed with. But clearly, she got way too close to the tree. Her perspective, based on Adam's communication, was don't touch it. But she was clearly right next to it. She was able to inspect the fruit and see that it was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and have a whole long conversation about it to imagine that it would make her wise. She spent way too much time 
right next to the tree. And that's what we do. I said it before, right? We get a little close to the line. How far can I go? Why is one of the biggest questions in Christianity like, can I lose my salvation? Because people want to know how far they could go before losing their salvation. If we run the opposite direction to Jesus, we will not lose our salvation. Praise the Lord. That's the answer, isn't it? But that's at the beginning. That's where Eve was at. Let me see. Let me look at that fruit. Don't go there. Don't get too close to the tree. Run. But then she crossed the line. She took it. She ate it. She gave in to the temptation, to the enticement of the devil. This is where she crossed the line into straight-up disobedience. She was playing games. She was in a dangerous place. She put herself in a dangerous place. And we're going to get into Adam and what he put himself in the midst of here. But we're talking about Eve right now. But she put herself in a bad position. And she could have and should have ran, but she didn't. She gave in to this temptation. And then verse 6, as it goes on, at the end of verse 6, it says, She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate it. It didn't take much, did it? Did not take much for Adam to eat the fruit. I mean, Eve has a whole encounter. She's at the tree. She's well, I don't know. And the, and the devil is tempting her and enticing her and selling her a whole bag of tricks. And then, then she eats. Adam, okay. Happy wife, happy life, right? I mean, is that what it's all about? Whatever you say, honey. But she gave to Adam. How did this happen? It says that he was with her. Adam, maybe he wasn't standing there hearing the exchange, but he wasn't far. And he allowed this to go down. Adam was not tempted. He ate willingly. Why? Idolatry. Adam put his relationship with his wife and his desire to please her above his relationship with God and a desire to please him. We do the same thing. We do it in marriage. And we make everything about happy wife, happy life. It's a, it's a decent statement, by the way. Don't get me wrong, but I think it, it's a good thing to try to please my wife. But it becomes an idol. An idol is when we put something above our relationship with God. And it shouldn't be so, but that's what we do. And maybe it's not your marriage. Maybe it's your children. And you're like, I'll do anything for my kids. Okay. Do they know Jesus? Do they know the truth? Have they heard even hard truths? Have they been taught about sin and the dangers of sin? Genesis chapter 3. Or do we just move everything and say, okay, and put all other relationships or other things above our relationship with God? 
Maybe it's a job or maybe it's an education. Maybe it is power, position, the pride of life, the things that look good and we're like, oh yeah, I, I mean, God understands. Surely, it can't be that bad. Surely I will not die. But are we just giving in to sin? Are we just living in idolatry and putting other things before our relationship with God? But Adam, he crossed that line too. He gave, God gave Adam a good thing. Remember, it's, it, we, we studied last week, it is not good that man should be alone, so God made a helper comparable to him, the woman. God gave Adam a good thing, and Adam turned that into idolatry. How many good things has God given us? Great blessings has God given us that we idolize and we put above him. But what happens here? Just like they were told, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Yay! No, it's bad. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They, their eyes were opened. But their eyes were not opened in the sense that they had hoped for or that they were promised. Their eyes were open to see their nakedness. The first thing that they saw with this new enlightenment was their own shame. They were exposed. Physically exposed, they were naked. Spiritually, their disobedience was exposed. You see, disobedience was just the fruit of all the other little things that were happening. Disobedience is when they crossed the line and they committed the sin. There's a lot of little things. They put themselves into bad situations. And we can all relate. We end up in difficult situations sometimes. We, we get too close to the tree sometimes. We inspect the bad fruit sometimes. And then we take it and eat it. Verse 7, as the eyes were open, they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Fig leaves. Immediately they attempted to cover up their sin and shame. The first thing they do, they see, like they were, not like they thought they were going to see, but like they were promised, they can see. And with this enlightenment, they saw their shame. They were naked and ashamed. And the first thing they do is try to cover up their shame, try to cover up their sin. And it was, of course, an ill attempt. Fig leaves were a little bit scratchy. It would not be so comfortable for covering up the private parts, especially. Would have been very uncomfortable, and covering sin is an uncomfortable experience, right? Just think of that. Next time you cross the line and you, you commit a sin that you're like, I know I shouldn't have done that, and then you try to cover it up, just imagine how uncomfortable the fig leaves are that you're putting on yourself and how ridiculous you might look. Covering sin is an uncomfortable experience, but sin can only be covered by one, the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And so then we go on, and verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They heard God. God was near, and God desired fellowship. That's what, and they heard God walking in the garden, and what, what was God? God was looking for them. God knew what happened, but God was still desiring nearness. They had created a separation. They hid because of sin, because of shame. This is a further attempt to cover up their sin. So the fig leaves weren't enough. Covering their sin with these fig leaves made them very uncomfortable physically, also spiritually, right? It wasn't working. So now they, they hear God, let's hide. I mean, this is like toddler stuff here, right? <laughs> hide. You know, you broke something. Go hide. It wasn't me. What? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Oh, God's coming. Run. A further attempt to cover their sin, to avoid God. It doesn't work. You cannot avoid God. But this is often what people do. When, when, when people are living in sin, we can often tell because maybe they're avoiding you. Maybe you've called them out in something in their life, then they avoid you. People avoid church. They avoid fellowship with other believers. They avoid God in that sense. And then they'll try to turn it around and blame the church and say, oh, they're too judgmental. If you've said that before, is that the truth really? Or is there shame because of your sin? You're trying to avoid God and avoid the light that comes within the body of Christ. And what does light do? Light exposes the darkness. So is it that the church is judgmental or is it that you're ashamed of your sin? But then God says, where are you? An attempt at fellowship with them, looking for them, and even an attempt to make this right. That's what God does. Even in our sin, we have been brought near by the blood of the Lamb. There's so many things that, I mean, this sin created the separation, but God continues to attempt nearness and fellowship. Where are you? He knew where they were, but he is attempting to make this right to give opportunity in his mercy. Verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. He was afraid. I mean, this is the beginning of sin, and it is fear. But what was he afraid of? He didn't say, I was afraid of that serpent. I was afraid of all these, you know, I was afraid of my health. I was, I was afraid for, for, you know, tripping and falling over there, stepping on a thorn. Those things didn't exist. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of the voice of God. He said, I heard your voice and was afraid. And he was afraid of God's presence. Again, don't run and hide God attempts nearness. God attempts fellowship. 
At this point, there was separation, and the rest of the Bible is about redemption. It's all about redemption and God wanting to bring that fellowship back that was broken right here. The fellowship was broken. They gave God the stiff arm and wanted to keep him away. That's why they hid themselves. They, they covered themselves and they hid themselves in the garden. But now God has a question. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? What a question of heartbreak. Right in this moment, you get that sense like, who told you? How did you hear this in your innocence? How would you know? Did you eat the tree? Of course God knows, but he's giving them this question and opportunity again to confess. I mean, I, I get a picture of, of the innocence of my children. And, you know, some, they might hear things somewhere out there in the world, and it's a scary thought, right? And, like, try to, try to protect them and shelter them and, like, don't watch that movie, don't watch that show, don't go there, close your eyes, do this, whatever, right? Close your ears. There's things in the world that are all around, and, and if that innocence is taken away, my heart is broken as a father. Oh. The things that these kids, we had just, my wife and I were just reading the other night this long list of horrible things that our kids would be taught in public school from kindergarten on through 12th grade. Horrible things that the public school system has no business teaching our children. And when those things are taught to them, wherever it's from, my heart is broken as a father. Because they had no business. Adam and Eve had no business mixing it up with the devil. So God says, who told you? Did you eat from the tree? Because that's the only way that you could have found out. That's the only way that you would have this shame and that you would have this fear. The problem here is sin. It's actually not Fear, anxiety, depression. All, I mean, all the things in the world that we can try to blame our issues on, it's just sin. It all comes back to sin. That's the origin of it. And the messed up things that are going on in the world today is all about sin. Every single thing, it's just back here, Genesis chapter 3. But there's, then, of course, they go on, and there's blame shifting that goes on. The man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. It's, it's your fault, God. He doesn't even just blame Eve. He, he jumps right over. He said, God, you gave her to me. Remember you said it was not good that man should be alone? Well, is it good that she should be with me? Because she gave me the fruit. Blame shifting, not accepting responsibility, not admitting sin. This is at the beginning. We look around, we see the same thing happen today. Again, you can look at your toddlers and see them blame each other. Your kids, my kids, it's like, what happened here, guys? Oh, they did this, you know, it was all their fault. Was it though, really? 
You know, my boys, the two of them, they love to wrestle, and they wrestle like half the day, um, maybe more, and we're like, just take it outside, right? Because in the house, things get broken. You're like, why did that get broken? Oh, it was all Caleb's fault. No, it was all Michael's fault. No, it was both your fault because you're both wrestling. Stop, go take it outside. And then they break each other. They're like, it was all his fault. No, it was all his fault. It's like, just stop blame shifting. But this is, at, this is at the nature of sin. It's blame shifting. Oh, it was actually God's fault. And, and we can try all we want to point it back to God but God has given us a good thing. God gave Adam his wife. Proverbs tells us he who finds a wife finds a good thing. He's not accepting not a responsibility, not admitting sin, blaming his wife, blaming God. And then it goes on, right? Kind of goes down the chain. Adam blames his wife and blames God. God moves right on. Okay, I'll talk to Eve about it. And he said to the woman, what, verse 13, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Now, Adam didn't say he got deceived. He said, this woman you gave me gave me the fruit, and I ate it. But then Eve said, well, the serpent, blame-shifting again, but with some responsibility. I was deceived. It wasn't my fault. I was deceived. Blaming deception and blaming the serpent. But guys, believing the lies of the devil is sinful. We forget that sometimes. We think, oh, it wasn't my fault. I was deceived. Why were you deceived? Because you were inspecting the bad fruit because you were right next to the tree, because you were mixing it up with the devil. But we should run the other way so we don't cross the line. Believing the lies of the devil brings about sin and is the root of sin. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, now this is great because he doesn't ask the serpent anything. right? He, he looks, he says to Adam, What's going on? Adam said, it was Eve, and it actually was you, because you gave me Eve. And Eve said, well, no, it was the serpent. I was deceived. I'm sorry. You know, actually, she didn't say I'm sorry, but all this, right, it just, it wasn't my fault. Then God goes right to the serpent. Because you have done this, he calls him right out as the liar he is. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. Now, the one who, who is more cunning than all now is cursed more than all. Amen. He, he got what he deserved. God doesn't give him opportunity. He already had plenty of opportunity. Remember, Satan was cast out. He was the highest of angels and cast out of heaven. He had his opportunity. And God then goes on, right? He says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. This is the curse, part one, the serpent. God knew what was going on. He didn't have question for the serpent. He just said, because you've done this, the most cunning of all would now be the most cursed of all. 
and he took his legs out from under him. Oh, and the serpent, this is not, we think a serpent, we think of a snake. He had, clearly, he had legs. Not anymore. Now you got no legs. You're a loser. <laughs> All the other beasts of the field, they got legs. You don't. Sorry, man. It's over for you. You're going you're gonna to crawl around on your belly and then bring enmity with woman, he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. She shall bruise your head, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Bringing enmity with woman. Listen, let's just, for starters, real simple here, we all hate snakes, all right, if you got a pet snake, that's just messed up, all right? I'm sorry. I, I hate snakes. It started here. Snakes, they're, they're the devil. <laughs> but then, God, I, I mean, God is just putting him in his place. Not only that, on your belly you shall go, and you're going to eat dirt, man. We, we think that's like a good, you know, ridicule of somebody. Eat dirt. God started it. He, said, he told the devil, eat dirt. You're going to take your legs off and you're going to eat dirt. Have fun. And not only that, you're going to have enmity with, with people in general, right? And people are going to hate snakes for the most part. I think we should. It's, for, it's the cause of sin. It all goes back to the beginning. But then beyond that, as you eat dirt, as you crawl upon your belly, you will be the lowest of all. You will always know and you will always experience defeat. You are defeated and you will live forever completely defeated. You will be hated. And quite physically, you will eat dirt as you slither across the earth. But then this enmity, not just with, with woman, but with the seed of woman. This is the first indication of the Messiah. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Don't forget it. Take note. Highlight it. This has by some been called the first gospel. It's the first indication of redemption. It's the first indication of of the virgin birth, of the seed of woman. And you will bruise his heel. Big deal, right? I mean, that, and that's what, this is prophecy of what's gonna take place. Satan even thinking that he would have power, he would have victory over Jesus through the cross, it was just a little bruise on his heel. But he will bruise your head. The heel is, is actually like the hardest bone, one of the hardest bones in the body. But you'll bruise, he will bruise your head. There's a problem when you get bruised in the head. This is a big problem. I mean, Jesus is going to be the snake crusher here. That's what we're looking at. And all it's gonna be is this little tiny sting that Jesus takes on the sins of the world and then has victory over it. It's nothing. Jesus had victory over Satan through the resurrection and crushed the serpent. Now he goes on to the woman, verse 16, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow 
and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Curse the curse part two to women. He says he will multiply their sorrow through many things. There's, I mean, f- throughout history, there's been a constant social struggle for women. It's part of the curse. There will be pain in childbearing. I'm sorry. It's part of the curse. <laughs> The pain that comes, right? I mean, you you talk to anybody, any woman who's had babies, it's like, it's the worst. I'm grateful that my wife has done what she has done to birth our four children. And all I had to do is have sleepless nights for seven or eight years, you know? It It was not that bad. But that's a thankful to the curse, thankful to sin. Beyond that, there's, there's sorrow, multiplying of sorrow in child raising. All the sorrow that comes. I mean, moms, you guys carry the weight of your kids. And dads, you do a little bit, but mostly it's the moms. And the dads have to oftentimes, okay, well, let me help. I can't, I'm not very helpful, but let me try to help, you know. There's nothing like the love of a mother, right? There's nothing like the passion that a mother has and love that a mother has for her children. And there's sorrow involved. Going back to the curse. There's a desire, it says that you desire for your husband, he shall rule over you. The woman's desire would be to rule over her husband is what the Bible is telling us. But it would be the other way around. Going against the sin nature is what it is. Because the sin nature of man is much like Adam. Here, eat the fruit. Okay. Am I right? Idolatry, indifference, laziness? Sure. No problem, whatever you say. But now the, in the curse... The woman is going to desire the position, the headship. God's design from the beginning in the order of family was that the husband would have headship. We talked about that last week in chapter 2. But that was God's design. Without sin, that's not a problem. Now that sin has entered the world, it's a big problem. For me, God's design was for men to have headship, but now sin complicates that because women would desire that headship. And sin makes it much harder to submit. But it, get, it goes on. The curse, part three, man. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. What God has said, Adam, because of your idolatry, because, because you just put your wife first, not only are, is you know, the serpent has been cursed more than any, 
woman has been cursed. Now man, through you, the, the earth is cursed. Through you, the ground is cursed. Remember, God created this glorious place. He set everything in order and created it perfect. Now it's over. That perfection has stopped. And through the sin of man, because he is heated, because of his idolatry, the ground would be cursed. The first life that was created, Genesis chapter 1, the first life that created would now be the first death, the ground. The ground would be cursed. It will still produce good, but it will also produce bad. And and that's what he says. It goes on, right, to say, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. You're going to work for it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat herb of its field. Weeds are a result of sin, Right? Come on. <laughs> you got to weed the, the flower beds and all. It's the worst. I, I'll mow the lawn a hundred times over before having to pick all the weeds. But the thorns. And I can't help but think about the crown of thorns that was placed on the head of our Savior Jesus when he hung on the cross and then had victory over all of it. The death that was hung upon his head goes back to the curse. The thorns, the thistles, these terrible things that would come forth out of the sin of Adam. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. He's gonna have to work hard for it till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. You're gonna work, you're gonna sweat until you die. You're going to go through hard things because of sin. And you're going to die. Death has come because of sin. Death is, it's awful, guys. And we have not been created for death. God didn't create death. He created life. Everything that God created, Genesis chapter 1, was life and it was good. Sin entered the world here through man, and that brought death, and it brought bad. It's a very simple Sunday school idea, isn't it? Death, bad, life, good. But from dust to dust, you will experience death, and all will experience death through sin. Through the sin of Adam, sin entered the world And all were cursed. And death entered the world through sin. I mean, think about just the things that have affected you. The loss of loved ones, that it stings, it affects you. Think back to the sin. Just even death and the decay of the world. This week we found a dead deer in our parking lot. And today, uh, Colin had to, and was it Andres, right? Yes. They helped get rid of it. And they walked over, oh, it's gross. Because the decay had begun to set in. And, and it, 
flies and smell and entrails falling out on the ground. And it's horrible. But that's, that's a result of sin. Death itself. How disgusting and horrible and smelly and gross it is. And we get, oh, wow. That's how God looks at sin. Oh, but he had a plan. Redemption. So now when he looks at us, he doesn't see the sin. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he doesn't look at us and see the sin. He sees us clothed in righteousness because the plan was redemption. Verse 20 And Adam called his wife's name Eve. She got her name here, verse 20 of Genesis chapter 3, because she was the mother of all living. She got her name here as mother of all trusting. You know, what what was just said, the curse over the serpent was that the seed of woman would bring the crushing of the serpent. Now, perhaps they thought, okay, let's get to work on crushing the serpent, And in her name, the mother of all, Eve, through the reproduction would ultimately come the Messiah. All this, the lineage of Christ that goes all the way on through, but then through Mary, through the seed of woman, would come the Messiah and crush the serpent. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. God is merciful. He did not make them walk around with the fig leaves forever. (laughs) He was merciful. He clothed them in his great mercy. He covered them. He covers their shame. Their nakedness was the shame. But... Where did the skins come from? The sacrifice was, would have to be made for their shame to be covered. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, no covering. And that's what takes place here. Verse 22, as we close out, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. God's saying he he has become like one of us with this knowledge There's some who would even say that this is almost God saying like, oh, he's become like one of us, like the devil told him, right? But this is the reality is he's become like one of us with this knowledge now of good and evil. We only gave him knowledge of good. Now he has knowledge of evil. And we were protecting. God was protecting his people. But now there's knowledge of evil. And the, the, the mercy in this is that God doesn't allow them to live forever in a cursed world because that would be horrible. Living forever in a cursed, and that's why he cast them out of the garden. 
It's not a good thing to live forever in a cursed world. It's not a good thing to live forever in sin. God designed everything to last forever. He designed everything for life, not for death, but sin brought death. So this is God's mercy, that we don't have to live in a cursed world forever. It is his mercy when we go home to be with him. And that he had as a plan from the beginning. And as he cast them out of the garden, they were separated from the tree of life so that they would not have to live forever in a cursed world. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. The cherubim guarded the garden, representing the presence of God that Adam and Eve had now been separated from due to sin. They couldn't come back. It was, it was guarded by the cherubim so that they could not come back into the presence of God in the garden and that perfection. And, and, and there's that separation that took place. And now from here on, God has a plan to bring back the fellowship and break down the separation And that plan is Jesus. In his death, in his resurrection, there is no separation now unless we put it there, unless we desire separation. But why would we? Why would we want to live in a cursed world? Why would we want to face the sting of death for all eternity? There's going to be the resurrection to death. Not a good thing. God made a way to get rid of the separation that man created that came through sin and brought death. But in Christ, there's life. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you made a way. That although sin has entered the world, that there is redemption and there is life And there's opportunity, God, to have fellowship with you. We thank you, God. We are amazed by you. We are amazed by your perfect plan for life, your perfect plan for redemption. And we are amazed by your mercy, God. Lord, bring us to our knees. Bring us to repentance as we remember what you've done. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your word. And we pray, God, that you would just continue to work in us and draw us close to yourself. 